Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby, live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com, where you'll find links to the podcast and the uh, social media sites where we simulcast the radio show, the live stream, and more, all at MichaelDukesShow.com, and broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator hello my friends hello how you doing <clears throat> i just called to let you know that uh it's uh hump day wednesday middle of the week uh the downhill slide to firearms friday can be seen from here i'm looking at it i can see it from here um yeah we're about to have uh we're about to have a good time i'm just gonna be uh, it's gonna be fun stuff Welcome to the program, and thanks for coming in and joining us. Uh, we are halfway through the week, and um, man, there's a lot of stuff going on. Man, it's just a lot of stuff going on. Um, I may have to take an impromptu trip down to the peninsula tomorrow, and that means that I might be in the area of Kenai Wasilla or Homer, um, and I might be throwing together a I might I might throw together a meet and greet or something over at I don't know Captain's Coffee or somewhere in there. So <clears throat> if you want to uh, if you want to say hi or whatever, just make sure you follow my Facebook page. I'll be letting folks know where I'm going and what I'm doing and and uh, how they can uh, how they can meet and say hi and do all that kind of stuff. You got to go to MichaelDukeShow.com. Just click on the Facebook link there. Or go to Facebook.com/slash MichaelDukeShow. And make sure that you follow the show page and uh, and just check out the show page over the next couple of days. And I'll let you know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop by and say hi to folks. And uh, um, uh, anyway, I'll probably tomorrow and Friday. So just heads up. Heads up. Letting you know I might be down in that neck of the woods. So if you want to come down and see me, uh, say hi, shake hands. Uh, I might uh, see if I can get some beard curler coffee before I go. I'm waiting for another another case of it um, and maybe some mugs or I don't know. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Anyway, that's tomorrow and Friday. That's the plan. We'll, just, we'll see what happens there. Um, and today, <laughs> today is Wednesday. And that normally means that uh, State Senator Mike Showers joining us, which he is. Uh, but we're also going to be diving into it with uh, another senator. Uh, and uh, again, it sounds like a joke. Two senators walk into a bar and talk about the PFD. That's kind of 
what we're going to talk about. Budgets and PFD today. Holy cow. And looking in the green room, and uh, our guest for hour one is already there. I was going to go over some headlines and stuff, but since he's there, I hate to make him waste the getting up and drinking all the coffee and being ready and getting to the office early. Uh, so give me just a hot second, and we'll jump into this with uh, State Senator Rob Myers. Um, <clears throat> I did want to <laughs> – sorry, this is the story. There was, You know, here's what's surprising. Can I just sidebar for just a second? Sure. It's my show. I can do what I want. Um, I thought it was interesting. Here we are, hot and heavy into the last uh, – what is this? This is uh, 14 days, literally two weeks. Two weeks from today uh, is the end of the session. Um, and yet the stories that are coming out, there's nothing, there's nothing coming. All the stories are the same as yesterday. Literally nothing really coming out of Juno from any of the news media outlets that I could find any of the major ones, pretty much all the same stories from yesterday, which I found kind of interesting. Although there was a story that is definitely nightmare fuel for those of you who do a lot of camping and everything else. There was a story in the ADN about a woman who was uh, cycling on a trip through Montana. She was on, uh, not motorcycling, she was bicycling, right? So she was a bicyclist who'd been traveling with a small group uh, near Hel- uh, near Helena and uh, it uh, in a small town called Ovando. And she was literally pulled from her tent and killed by a grizzly bear. I mean, this is nightmare fuel. I mean, that's just something you don't want to, no, 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 no. I mean, Alaska will kill you, but apparently so will Montana. Um, and uh, they're out there hunting the bear right now. They're trying to find it. Although I did find that the attitude of the other cyclists was a little blasé and uh, a, a little a little laissez-faire. One of the other bicyclists, uh, bicyclists from the group was like, well, you know, I think we're going to be okay to go north. We carry bear spray and keep our food in a bear-proof bag. Bears are always a threat, but as long as we take precautions, we're not too worried. I think we're more likely to be hit by a car than attacked by a bear. Except by the fact that somebody was just ripped out of their tent and killed. I'm just like, okay, you guys are traveling through the U.S. I think I think, I think I would still have a gun. I mean, I think because you're traveling through mostly western states that are you know pretty okay. I think I would still have a gun. I'm just saying, you're traveling out in the woods, you're camping, bear spray is great. Um, I mean, it's a nice peppery finish for these bears. They get a chance to, you know, they think of it as, you know, seasoning. I don't know. (laughs) It's just kind of the attitude of, no, don't worry, we keep bear spray, we keep our food in bear-proof bags. Yeah, I mean, but what about you? You're in not in a bear-proof bag, you're just in a sleeping bag. The The bear apparently knows how to get in. Anyway, this story, I read the story and I was just like, I just, nobody wants to face a grizzly in the woods like that. It's just nasty. Yeah. People in sleeping bags equals bear soft tacos. That's what it's, that's what it's all about. Um, all right. It is, uh, I guess it's time. I'm, let's just jump. I'm, like I said, I was going to talk about some other stories that really had nothing to do with anything, but instead, um, our guest has ready to jump in and wow i mean he's so johnny on the spot how could you be so early my friend state senator rob myers joins us this morning uh hello sir how are you 
Oh, morning, Michael. Oi, vey, you taskmaster, you. I am an evil, evil man. I asked, I asked Rob and said, you want to come on tomorrow? He's like, sure, 7 o'clock hour. And I'm like, uh, no, that one's full. He's like, I hate you so much right now. I hate you so Making me get up early. Uh, and I told him exactly how I felt when those alarm clocks go off at 4.30 or 4.45 in the morning. Um, well, my friend, uh, here we are, two weeks left of the session. Uh And uh, we just went through one of the major votes that uh, we were kind of waiting for. We've been waiting for kind of all session. Um, We knew how this was going to go down. This is not like it's surprising. Although I will say some of the there has there was some interesting discussion. And I don't know how much of it was just kabuki theater and how much of it was, uh, you know, vote wrangling and some other things. But. Um, I noticed a couple things. Uh, Brad Keithley mentioned it yesterday, and I went back and, back and watched it after he mentioned it. Um, there were some surprising allies on your side of the, hey, we should just do a 50-50 thing, including um, you know, people like Forrest Dunbar, who made a pretty impassioned speech on the floor about protecting his people and doing, you know, hey, I credit where credit's due. And then some other things like, um, and I heard it from a source in the legislature, and I don't know if you want to confirm or deny this, but I do want to know. <clears throat> I noticed that Scott Kawasaki was recused or excused. Was there any reason uh-huh. given for that? Because I understand from some other sources that he was actually in the building. Was there any reason given for his excused absence, or was this what? – what are your thoughts I, here? I don't know the reason. Um, he, he had excused himself the, the week prior you know, which is, is not out of the ordinary, you know, you, you, you have to do that. Otherwise they can send the troopers after you. Um, so no, we, uh, you know, we get up, we excuse ourselves on a, you know, fairly regular basis. The, uh, um, so I, I, but you don't necessarily state the reason you just say for state business or for personal business. And I don't remember which one he said, he might've said both. Um, but he was not there. He was listed as excused and, there were multiple people that saw him around the building that morning before the floor session. So I don't know what was going on there. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. Yeah, no, again, a couple people, a couple people actually reached out to me on this and said, did you know? And I'm like, no, I, of course I didn't know. I'm not there. And they're like, oh, well, you know, the thing in the, and I'm just like, okay, so he's either hiding from the vote or there's something else going on. He didn't want to go on record as showing that he was okay with 75-25. But again, some surprising benefactors, people like, uh, 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 like uh, Forrest Dunbar, who again, I have to take some of that stuff with a grain of salt. And I mean, you you've now yeah. been in the political arena enough long enough to know that just because somebody comes to your side doesn't mean that they're on your side, because this could be an instance of where he's already been like, I've counted heads and I can see that this is going to fail anyway. So now I could stand up and be a stalwart for something and say, look, I voted for your PFD, even though it failed and crashed again. How much of this do you think is just kabuki theater? In, in, in Forrest's case, I don't think so, because he and I have had a couple of conversations about the PFD over uh, over the course of this session, and I I really think he's he's a, a fairly strong believer in it. Honestly, um, you know, he does come from a a district that's that's relatively poor. He comes from kind of a poor background himself. He worked his way through college, um, and I mean, okay. Forrest Dunbar and I are going to come from opposite ends of the political spectrum on almost everything. But <clears throat> I'm remembering a piece of advice that I saw once from 
from former Representative Bob Lynn. And he said, it is entirely possible for a piece of legislation to uh, pass the House 38 to 2, and the two no votes are the most conservative member and the most liberal member, and they're both voting no for very opposite reasons. You know, and, and you know, and, and I think there's some of this going on here. Does, does Forrest believe in the PFD because he recognizes the impact it has on lower and middle income families? Absolutely. But does Forrest want to protect the government spend as well? Absolutely. Right. So, you know, I, he was not the surprising one to me. The surprising one to me actually was Matt Clayman. Um, I, I expected him to be a yes vote on that. Um, and, uh, you know, so it, it, you're right. There were some surprises there. Um, overall, I think the vote kind of went the way we expected it to. We expected it to pass, but we expected it to be fairly close. 12 to 7 by Senate standards is pretty close. Um, so it was it was it was interesting. It was also interesting to watch what happened with the amendments. Uh, Shelley Hughes had one. I had three um, and they were all struck down on caucus line votes. We thought that there was going to be uh, maybe a little bit more of a split on one or two of those. Right. And they weren't. So, um, well, you know, I, that was that was. Yeah, interesting they, just to watch how they held together for the amendments. Well, they made a pretty big deal about how this was a binding caucus. Like, a binding caucus is not a bad thing. And then you see the split vote on the PFD, but the amendments were all along caucus lines. So even though some of the members said that they were against it, anything that eased up on it at all was immediately voted down on caucus lines. So it, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to watch. And I think Bill in the chat room makes a... Uh, makes a comment that I think is is very uh, – well, I think is very uh, observant, I guess. He says, funny how they made begging for the 50-50 PFD the new normal. I mean, everybody who has been a full PFD person for years has finally come right. down to say, look, okay, fine. The Hammond 50-50 is as low as we'll go. Here's our – here is our compromise pitch. We'll go to the 50-50 PFD. And it seems like the left seems to be very good at this. They're like, oh, okay, great. You're willing to come off. So here's our 75-25. You know, we know right. you compromise, yeah. but here's what we're pitching. Right. You know, I don't think they recognize, you know, how far I am moving to go to a 50-50. You know, I mean, they, they try to contrast the 50-50 or the 75-25 with the statutory. And I'm sitting here going, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. My point is not statutory, and then the government can take some. My point is I don't want the government to take any to begin with. And, you know, give me the statutory PFD, and you don't get any. Not give me the statutory PFD, and you can have the rest of the draw. And, I, you know, I don't think that, that some of the people realize that. And so, I mean, there's no way I'm going past 50-50 because the, the way I look at it, you know, going back to, to Hammond's principle, when he said 50% of the draw for – for the people, 50% of the draw for government. What that says to me, if you go past 50-50, it says government is more important than people. And I, I can't go there. That is that is not a principle I can believe in. Well, which I think is, you know, again, this is, this is the battle that we're now fighting. This is the battle that we're now fighting in the legislature. It's not R versus D. It's not Senate versus uh, uh, House. It's, you know, it's progressive versus conservative. The whole problem is this is big government, you know, protecting the government spend at the expense of the private sector uh, or private sector versus the government. That's really the divide these days in the legislature, right? I mean, overall, that's the real true divide. I mean, we've got some 
kind of marrying up to that in the House. But overall, it doesn't matter what party you belong to. Do you want to protect the government spend at all costs or do you want to try and protect the, the private sector? Uh, that really is the divide these days, right? I, I, you know, I, I think I think that's largely the case. And, and you know, there's there's a, a couple of different variations on that. You know, with Forrest Dunbar, you saw some of that, you know, he is is willing to protect his people and, and wants to do that because he he, you know, recognizes that, hey, the the individual still has some agency here. This isn't just a OK, sit down and do what your masters and Juno tell you to do. You right. know, this is you know, you're an individual. You still have some power in the situation. And. And as such, uh, you know, we should, you know, you, you should still be handing out, uh, you know, the, the money should still be going out to people because we recognize that individuals have that agency and that power. But, um, yeah, I, you know, again, primarily it is going to be about <clears throat> do you believe in the individual in the private right. sector or do you believe in government as the master? And that's, you know, that's what I said at the very end of my speech on on uh, Monday afternoon was. Uh, you know, I Which, believe in government being a servant, not be, government being a master. This split turns government into the master. I can't do that. Uh, Senator Rob Myers, our guest. We're going to continue in a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. What is that? Common Sense, regularly heard on American radio. Okay, uh, Rob Myers, our guest uh, in the uh, break, uh, coming back to him right now. I just didn't want to show you the empty seat. It was just so wrong. Um, I had to go close my window. No, I, I get, I get it, I get it. Yeah, I mean, your speech on the floor was very good, and I, I, I didn't, I didn't really want to try and cut it up and and pluck the highlights out because it's a seven or eight minute speech. But I, I would love for you to make the same kind of speech here today just to tell people exactly what your thoughts were on that. So we'll do that when we come back. But sure. I mean, overall, watching this thing, this is this is this is played out pretty much exactly like I expected at this point. I mean, coming into this session, I had no illusions that this was going to be any kind of win for a smaller government, full PFD crew. I mean, I, I wished it would. I've I've fought for it. I've talked about it. I've encouraged people to participate. But looking at the makeup of it, this is it's really not that it's really not that shocking, right? On the on the Senate side, no. This is about what we expected. You know, you could you could kind of tell what was going to happen by about you know two days after the election, um, just just based on who was ahead and everything. And um, now you, you kind of knew which direction it was going. And um, it just, yeah, it is what it is. But, you know, you, we also recognize, hey, you know, one of the best things that happened this year, the Republicans took back the House. Um, so the, the scuttlebutt going around is that, um, you know, that bill is going to get introduced in the House today and it's going to get buried in some committee where it's not going to see the light of day. So um, we'll we'll see what happens uh, here over the, the, the next couple of weeks with that bill um, and next year with that bill, because technically that bill is alive next year. Um, but yeah, I don't expect it to, to, to get very far unless whatever chairman of whatever committee, um, you know, decides that they want to, uh, mercilessly grill whoever 
from the Senate is going to be in charge of defending that bill on the other side. You know, I, I don't see it. even <laughs> Well, that would be entertaining. I mean, I'd pay money to see that could be. break out the popcorn and let's watch, <laughs> let's watch this go on. Um, you know, that might be no. good just to have a hearing and then put it back in the drawer anyway, because <laughs> I mean, that would be, you know, that would be, uh, that would be good. Um, so that, it wouldn't be the first time that that sort of things happened around here where it's, I really hate this idea. So I'm going to bring your bill in so that I can destroy it. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, why not? I mean, if I was in charge of a committee that had that bill in front of me, I'd be honest with you. I think that's what I would do. I would literally mercilessly deconstruct that bill line by line and just put them. At, oh, it's going to Ways and Means. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Donna just said it's going to Ways and Means Committee. Well, I hope Ben just brings that thing out on the floor and just excoriates it. I mean, just slices it apart with a fillet knife because that's what you need to do. You need to put these people on the hot seat to say, hey, you've done this. Here's what the here's what the 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 parameters are. Here's what the effect is going to be. The unintended consequences of it. Now defend that. That I mean, that's what that's yeah. what we need. Instead of this, again, it was all political theater. It was all kabuki. It was all this. You know, they got a chance to. They controlled the narrative. They controlled the discussion. They controlled all the voting. Sure, put them in a committee and say, okay. Now you defend it. I would like to see some hostile witness stuff going on. I would really like to see that because you could, I mean, I mean you, you could clip the hell out of that and show that to people for the next two years. You know, besides, you know, just, you know, being people being on opposite sides of an issue. I mean, that there, there's an automatic disadvantage there um, with the Ways and Means Committee because the Ways and Means Committee meets at six o'clock at night. And um, the most of the members of Senate Finance have told me that uh, Senate stops work at five. So they're they're automatically at a disadvantage right there. <laughs> Senate stops work at five. Okay, good to know. Thanks very much for you know. I'm sorry. This is a nine to five job for my hundred and twenty four thirty five thousand dollars. I just you know for four months. I couldn't be yeah. bothered to work beyond five. Uh well, it's uh, man. This could be an exciting two weeks. I'll be honest with you. This could be an exciting two weeks. All right. Uh, Rob Myers, our guest senator from the interior. Uh, somebody says it's snowing out here outside my house. I haven't even looked outside yet today. I know that's hard to believe, but I haven't even looked outside. Don't harsh my buzz, man. All right. We're getting ready to go. Uh, we're jumping back into it. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow, do all that stuff. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Let's do it. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Not your daddy, nor do I play one on TV. Well, I have in the past, but now I don't, uh, although I am a daddy. It, I'm so confused by that. I don't even know what to do. Um, I can tell you one thing. Rob Myers, also not your daddy, but uh, he's here in the chat room and on the show with us today to talk about what's going on uh, down in the legislature. Now, Rob, you made a pretty impassioned floor speech uh, about this bill, and I would have loved to have played it for the legislator or for the uh, listeners um, because I don't think the legislators were listening, but I'd love to play it for the listeners. But it was like seven or eight minutes long, so I wanted to give you a moment to synopsize uh, the. Uh, 
you know the the speech and you know give us a mini version of it and you know hit the hit the highlights of the points that you were making even though i'm sure everybody sure. in the room was glazed over and not paying attention there tell us you know what you had to say about this well they weren't they weren't completely glazed over cuz i had a couple people telling me they were watching other members of the body as i was talking and they were let's just say there were a couple of members of the old guard they were getting a little red in the face um but um, it, kind of the really the, the most important part of it was right there at the beginning. What I stood up and, and said was, you know, I watched most of the hearings on that PFD bill going through Senate finance. And I was very disappointed because the hearings were so narrowly focused. They were basically focused on answering one question. What's the biggest PFD that we can pay for after paying for government and without raising taxes? And I said, well, that's a fine question. But that's one question, and it hardly encompasses everything that that's, uh, needs to be covered here. So I had a list of 10 questions that I read out and said, these are questions that need answered if you're going to talk about changing a PFD or really talk about a fiscal plan, a fiscal structure at all, the whole nine yards. And so I just, I'll just read those 10 questions real quick, and this will you know, give you the flavor for the speech. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. So is it a, yeah. Is it a good idea for the largest financial resource in the state to be completely under control of the government? Is it a good idea to have the only way for the people of Alaska to access the largest financial resource of the state to lobby for more state spending? Is it a good idea for the state to be effectively held harmless when the state's economy drops? Is it a good idea for the state's finances to be dependent on things that happen outside of the state and are completely outside of our control? Since the rate of spending that the Senate is currently signaling plus projected inflation, would lead to the dividend being completely gone by approximately 2028. What is the plan for paying for state spending at that point? From an economic perspective, what is the difference between taking over a billion dollars out of the state's economy to pay for state spending via a PFD cut versus via a tax? How does this bill help us to escape from the resource curse? Do we want a structure that allows our government to grow much faster, potentially 80% faster than the private economy? Do we want a fiscal structure that gives the state an incentive to look at economic development as a cost rather than as a benefit? And finally, how do we expect to diversify the economy if we cut off the resource capital needed to start businesses? And you know, th <laughs> these are the things, you know, you and I have talked about most of these things. Absolutely. Brad's talked about some of them. Yep. You know, it's like Guys, this is we are a resource based economy here. And if you are going to turn our government into a government that is is not based on resources, not based on the private economy, but based on what happens out in Wall Street, these are the things that you have to get wrap your head around and recognize the the type of system that you're setting up. And if you're going to ignore all of that, you're not doing your proper due diligence. Get out there and and ask these questions and do the job and actually look at not just what are you doing with the state's finances, but what are you doing to the state's economy, to the rest of us average Joes who are out here trying to make a living unconnected from state government. And this, of course, as you said, there were some red faces in there because these are the questions that they don't want to ask or don't they don't even want to they don't want to have answered, but they don't even want asked. Because they right. want to, they want to narrow focus and laser focus it down right. into their thing of, oh, we've got to protect this. So how do we protect this? None of the other answers matter. None of the other questions. Right. They don't even want to discuss it because, again, 
it undermines their main argument, which is government spend must be protected at all costs. And unfortunately, <clears throat> we're a minority in the wilderness here. Th those of us who are asking those questions, mm -hmm. those of us who are looking at the PFD as the people share, as Hammond intended, we're a minority today. I mean, we got people in the chat room saying, well, that's not really your money. We got people in the chat room saying, oh, well, we should just give it to them and let them balance the budget. And then if there's a surplus, then we should give him a PFD and all this. I mean, other kind of horse crap that we just, you know, that I mean, how can you how is giving them more money when they've shown that they can't even handle the money they have? How is that going to force them to balance the budget? Right. I mean, that's you know, a, and. and Go ahead. And, and no offense, Michael, but even that, to some extent, is the wrong question, because our question really ought to be, if you have a resource-based economy, what is the best way to build an economy, to diversify an economy, and the best way to support a government structure? Or, or I should say, least bad way to support a government structure. You know, I, was, uh, I, I ran across a book, um, kind of a scholarly tome, so it's kind of hard for, you know, might be... be not very interesting for some people to go through, you know, it could be good reading if you're having trouble sleeping at night. But um, I, I ran across this book, uh, got published about 2001. Um, and it was a, a collection of, of essays on uh, resource development and, and stuff from, from different economists from around the world and what they've seen in different countries, you know, some based on, some of them are based on oil, some of them based on mining, some based on timber, you know, it, it, different places and saying, you know, why is it that so many resource-based economies around the world have so much trouble um, diversifying and keeping their government under control? And and you know why why do they ha continue to have uh, financial problems as as governments and as, as economies and things like that? And you know you read through this thing and you you realize that they have so many pieces in common. You know from you know, everywhere from from uh, Ghana in in Africa over to Indonesia in in Southeast Asia over to um, you know a couple of places in in South America um, like Bolivia or a couple of places like that, and it's like it's around the world. Um, even Scandinavia, they could they could point out some problems in in uh, Norway and Sweden um, compared to a couple of their neighbors, and you know they said the problem is that that in the vast majority of these countries, the resource wealth is owned by the government because the government owns the forest or the government owns the subsurface rights. So they get the money from the oil, something like that. And all of that money tends to just completely distort the government. It tends to completely distort the economy. And, and it just it just ruins everything. You know, I, I pulled out some quotes from it. One of them here, this is, this is one of my favorite ones. It says, in resource abundant countries, the role of the government can easily become exclusively a provider of welfare goods with the poor, indeed much of the populace, as beneficiaries. The government's role is then to extract resources from those involved in tapping natural resources and turning over what is extracted to the people, frequently through make-work jobs or inefficient development projects. The government becomes Santa Claus, dispensing its largesse to the people, who in consequence demand more and more. I mean, does that sound familiar? Wait, wait, at wait, all? wait, you're saying that they create a welfare state, that that's what's going on, that, you know, that the <clears throat> that the safety net is extended to them. And then all the on the other side of the scale, all the corporate cronyists are building businesses to benefit off their largesse of the state. Is that wait that wait, that sounds familiar. 
Wait, wait, you mean the government takes all of the money and uses it to build its power base and make everybody dependent on them so that the so that you know we don't ever diversify the economy and the government doesn't diversify it, its income streams? I yeah. mean, um yeah, Look, you know, I, who would do that? that? That's crazy. I mean, I don't mean to be a broken record, but one of the most shocking stats that you've brought out on this program, and I think has been failed to be picked up on by no news media has discussed this. I mean, I know some of the reporters listen to the show occasionally or go back and watch the thing or podcast or whatever, but I have never seen a single uh, a journalist or columnist or anybody in the mainstream media mentioned the fact that when you talk about this disconnect between the public economy and the private economy, the fact that uh-huh. the public economy, the government can grow at an 80 percent increase over the private economy. That is such a staggering. I mean, I want people out there to just really sit, stop what you're doing and listen to what we're saying here, because there is a disconnect. In between the government and the people, which is not this is unusual. Every other state in the nation has got some form of tax or something else where the people have kind of a skin in the game. They understand what's going on. They're directly affected by it. It ties the private economy to the public economy. So government can only grow based on what the public or the private economy is doing here. There is such a complete disconnect that we have seen the government grow at a rate 80% 80% larger than the private. The private economy could be tanking, which, uh-huh. I mean, look back in the last few years, could be tanking and government still grows. Right. That, and and when I did that, that math, I wasn't even counting COVID. I went 1999 to 2019 because COVID doesn't count. Right. Okay? Maybe in a couple more years after things have kind of smoothed out a little bit more, maybe I'll say COVID counts and we can include it in the set. But, you know, I said, all right, 99 to 2019 you got a lot of variation in there you've got an oil boom you got an oil bust you got two stock market booms you got two stock market busts um and so um you know there's a there's a big big uh uh sample of of things that happened in there and what what ends up um uh happening our economy is in the toilet over the long run and our economy is in the toilet over the long run because we are overly dependent on one thing, and that's oil. And you know what? I'm not knocking anybody that's making their money off oil. I make my money off oil these days outside of this place. And, you know, I got, I got nothing wrong with that. But my problem is we're not taking that oil money and saying, how do we move beyond this? How do we invest in something else that is going to be more diverse that is going to be less volatile, that's right. going to build us a base and a foundation for our state moving forward for the next 30, 40, 50 years. And if all you do is take all of that royalty and severance tax and hand it to the government, you're basically guaranteed to never have that happen. It's such a huge deal, and it's being missed by pretty much everyone, unless you're listening to this show. Uh, and unfortunately, we're preaching to the choir here because the folks around us believe that. But the rest of the rest of the regular folks, they're what's on must see TV Thursday seems to be the top thing on their mind. And how do I get my next check from the state? We have created a welfare state in this in this uh, in the state of Alaska. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're going to continue with this. We're going to be back with more right after this. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio.
listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. In the break with Rob Myers, uh, and we're continuing. Uh, I okay. I'm gonna. <clears throat> I shouldn't engage, but I'm gonna engage on this one just because. Harold says, <clears throat> Rob, and I'm gonna comment on this. Harold says, "You're kidding yourself. Alaska's getting about one fifteenth of your oil." Let's just put a hypothetical on this and say, okay, Harold, we we captured another one point three billion dollars from the oil industry, and let's assume that that doesn't hurt investment or anything else, and everything just continues on, and we just captured another one point three billion dollars uh, in revenue from the oil companies to get our fair share. Um, what do you think is going to happen? You've just given them another $1.5 billion. Rob, based on what you're seeing right now, your experience down there, watching what's going on, the spending habits that have been happening in the legislature for the last 20 years, what do you think would happen if we got our fair share and got another $1.3, $1.4, $1.8, whatever the number is, billion dollars? Um, are we going to get our full PFD? Are we going to get what? What's going to happen? Nope. <laughs> no, what's here's what's going to happen real, real quick is our spendings. If if we pass, you know, the the oil tax bill or or you know something else along those lines, it gets us more money out of the oil companies. And again, let's let's leave aside the possible effects on on future investment and future production things like that. What will happen is our government spending will spike, and when we finally fall off that fiscal cliff, that fiscal cliff will be two or three times as tall. And, you know, so, so, you know, by focusing on the oil, like Harold does, he's, he's forgetting that there's two questions involved here. Number one is what's the best value that we can get for our oil. And as a general rule, I, I believe in that concept of we should sell our oil for the best price we can get it for. But the second question is where should that money go after you sell that oil? And I'm going to tell you that giving that money to the government for, for our budget is the exact worst thing that you can do with it because it is just going to exacerbate the problem. It's, it's, it's going to take a, it's going to take a junkie and give him some crack cocaine. I think that's exactly it. Would you give an alcoholic a case of vodka and say, man, control yourself here, f heal thyself. Here's a case of Tito's. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, that's exactly what it's about. I mean, without any kind of the other stuff going on, it makes no sense. Um, it, it just makes no sense. It's so frustrating, so frustrating to watch. Yes, I mean, I agree. The problem is, again, we are so connected to or we are so disconnected from everything that's happening around us. Um, this would never happen in a state like Texas. This would never happen in a state. Well, pick any state. Uh, I don't even care. California might be a stretch because they want to spend anyway. But Pennsylvania is one of my favorite, actually. Yeah. Well, tell. I mean, why? Tell why was Pennsylvania? How would you com do a comparative on Pennsylvania? <clears throat> so Pennsylvania is a fun one to look at, and I think you and I have talked about this one before. There was a, a study done a few years back that was not looking at oil; it was looking at natural gas, because Pennsylvania is you know a long settled state you know most the vast majority of the land is in private hands and it said all right well what happens if you know you have all of this natural re natural gas development in an area where most of the land is in private hands and then it compared it to the uk where all of the subsurface rights are owned by the government and it said 
on a bang for your buck, for every dollar that you got out of the ground, you got double the economic bang for your buck in Pennsylvania that you did in the UK because it's privately owned. So individuals take that, they, in, they, they spend it on businesses with their neighbors, they invest in their own businesses that are diversified from the oil industry and the government turns around and takes it and spends it on its own, its own stuff. And again, going back to that multiplier effect, the private multiplier is so much bigger than the public multiplier. You end up with double the bang for your buck with most of the money going into private hands compared to all the money going into the government hands. Which, again, we've talked about that multiple. And, and, and it's it's so true here in Alaska because that billion dollars that they're taking out of the private economy, even if it turned just two or three times, and we know that that multiplier is somewhere up in the six, seven, eight range, even if it turned two or three times compared to the private sector or the public sector, the government spend, which is one time, 1.1 or something. Donna's in the chat room. She'll tell me what the number is again. Cause I, but it's, it's right around one time. So you're talking about losing that multiplier effect in the private economy, growing the, the growing the state economy. People would be a lot more willing to do a lot of this stuff if there was a way to, you know, if, if they went to the private economy, they'd be much more willing to give that money to the government if there was a surplus. But when the economies are disconnected and this and the people are struggling and the government's like, eh, you'll be fine, kid. Don't worry about it. We're going to spend over here. It's a it's a it's a crazy thing. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And, you know, we are handicapping ourselves because we're being blind to the difference between public behavior and private behavior. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're all. We're all uh, we're all failures. That's what I've just gotten told. We're all failures. It's good to know. Good to know. All right. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Rob Myers, our guest. Let's do it. And Rob Myers is our guest. We're continuing here. Um, oh, damn. Donna Erdwin just provided me with the numbers. We were talking about the multiplier effect, and we were talking about comparatives in other states, and Rob was talking about Pennsylvania, which is mostly private land. Almost all the resource development happens in Pennsylvania on private land, and they were talking about how because of that, the money because money in the private economy turns and multiplies. It's got a huge multiplier effect. And I said, well, that's what we're looking at at the state of Alaska because money that goes into the state and never passes through the hands of the private of the private economy doesn't multiply. It's like a one-to-one -one thing. No, no, Donna says it's 0.7. The multiplier for money spent in government is 0.7 compared to you know, the six or seven times in the private economy. So if we had that billion dollars, Rob, from the PFD actually pass through the hands of the citizens first, even if the government captured it back down the road, that billion dollars would turn six, seven times. And in the hands of the government, you only get 700 million worth of return versus a billion dollars. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, it's just absolutely insane uh, to, to think about, all right, this is the, this has to be the best way for us to to build a government, to build an economy. And, you know, it, it's 
you know, going back to that book I was mentioning in the last segment, you get to the very end of that book. And, and so each of the chapters in that book either talks about a specific issue like education or economic development or something that gets distorted, or it's a case study on a particular country and, and how it's had problems compared to its neighbors and things like this. And you get to the very end of that book and the last chapter is about summing it all up and giving us the solutions. And it's like the second to last page of the book. And, and it's coming from this, uh, this British economist named Richard Audi. And he's looking at all this and he says, since many governments lack the capacity to handle the challenges of managing resource rents, one way to avoid relying on public sector spending would be to disperse the rents to private citizens, thereby decentralizing the decision-making process. Such a distribution system has the political appeal of allowing the citizens to make decisions about the appropriate balance between consumption and investment. This study has provided both theoretical and empirical evidence of the advantages of diffuse socioeconomic linkages, where the rents emanate from booming crop prices and farmers retain a larger share of the windfall. So they were one thing they were talking about was the difference between you know, little point, what they call point economic linkages like oil, where all of the wealth is coming from a very small area and diffuse economic linkages like farming, where your wealth is still being created as a natural resource to some extent, but it's, it's uh, a broad area. It's widely held. The ownership is spread out. And so it's basically saying here, you know, if your government can't manage the challenges of handling all of that money and keeping its spending in check and actually being smart about um, economic development and things like this. And then probably the best thing to do is instead of trying to have the government spend that money, the government should just take that money and hand it out to the people, and let the people make their own best decisions. This was the, well, I mean, this was the argument that was on the floor, right? I mean, this is Shelley Hughes's comment back to Kathy Giesel. Kathy Giesel, like, we need all this money so that we can create these programs and fund it and feed these people. And Shelley's like, why don't you just give them their PFD and maybe they can feed themselves, right? I mean, that's the thing. This is the epitome of the politician's disease of, well, we know better than you how to spend that money. I mean, right? right. I mean, that's really what it is. No, that's, that's it. And, you know, over the last 50 years in Alaska, we have, you know, have ample evidence that that is not the case. And yet, what are we doing? We are preventing the money from going out to individuals to make their own decisions and keeping the money within the hands of the government so that we can continue to make poor decisions ourselves because economic pressures and political pressures are not the same thing. And you know, we here in Juneau make decisions on a one-year or two-year or four-year cycle. You know, you get your one-year budget cycle, you got a two or a four-year election cycle. Whereas people out in the in the rest of the world, you know, make things on a five or ten or twenty or thirty-year decision cycle. So that I I firmly believe that by and large, the people as a whole are going to make better long-term decisions compared to the politicians. I. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't agree more because we have a track record to prove it, Rob. That's the thing. This is not okay. a hype. This is not a hypothetical. Let's look back at the last 40 years of spending in the state of Alaska with all that money. And uh, I mean, well, let's look back at the formation of the permanent fund dividend itself. The reason it was formed was because Hammond and company were shocked and dismayed at the rate at which the legislature was clipping through that first $900 million they received in 1969 or 1970 when they got that first payment and they were like, whoa, 
we got to put a we got to slow this down, slow the roll on this. And it took them a few years, but they finally got it in and said, now we're going to give because the people that's their rights that they've given up. We're going to give some back to them and give them a dog in this fight. And we have allowed that dog to be taken. We've allowed that that linkage to be taken away from us. We have. And, you know, I, I mean, the, the permanent fund was, you know, better than better than doing nothing. But even the permanent fund, to some extent, was was, you know, a, a, you know, third best option, you know, out there because, you know, we still gave the government all of the severance tax. We still gave the government three quarters of the royalties. We had one quarter of the royalties and we didn't even pass out that one quarter. We said, we're going to put that one quarter away in a bank account and, you know, we'll hand out the earnings. Well, <clears throat> what what did the government do? The government took its its wealth and, and squandered it. You know, if you look at, at what happened back in the 80s, you know, we had uh, a whole lot of, of, you know, spending going on around here, late 70s, early 80s, when that oil money really started to roll in. And we, you know, we built a lot of things, we created a lot of programs Was some of that stuff useful, some of it, yeah, but you know, we didn't plan ahead. You know, what, what are we are, what are we looking at now 40 years down the line, we're looking at how do we pay for all the deferred maintenance on all that stuff that we built back in the in the 80s. You know, <clears throat> we, we can't even figure figure out how to maintain what we've got let alone build anything new, uh, because again, our government does not plan ahead. We lived on the boom and bust cycle and we didn't want to limit ourselves. And, you know, we, we barely managed to limit ourselves by putting one quarter of the royalties away into the permanent fund. Right. And now what are we doing? We're turning around and taking that too. Right. So yeah, we're, you know, th this isn't any better than the last boom where, you know, from, from about, you know, oh six to 14, give or take, um, you know, we, we took some of that money, we threw it into savings, the CBR shot up to, uh, what, 12, 13 billion, the, the SBR shot up to, you know, a few more billion on top of that. Sounds great until you look at what happened right afterwards, which is we turned around and we spent all that too. So, it, you know, we, we are at best able to restrain ourselves for a very short period of time. And uh, until we recognize that fact, and recognize that the individual, by and large, is going to make decisions better than the government. We're going to continue this cycle. You you touched on one of my favorite topics of deferred maintenance uh, because I mean, we're, I like to trigger you, Michael. You, you like to trigger me for sure. I mean, that was one of my things on that was on the assembly. I was constantly talking about the evil of deferred maintenance, and they were like, "Oh no, it's fine." And then the year after I left, and Carl Castle became mayor of the Fairbanks North Star Borough. All of a sudden, he comes out with this whole thing of the long face. And, I mean, he later on told me, he goes, man, you were so right. Because they have a quarter of a billion dollars in deferred maintenance in Fairbanks alone. What's the state's deferred maintenance? I mean, it is hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. As of last year, because I haven't asked for the list this year, but as of last year when we asked for the list, it was a hair over $10 billion. $10 billion in deferred maintenance. The university itself is 1.7. Just the university. Folks, that's, that's, not, that's, you know, that's to pay for stuff that we already own. That's to pay for maintenance on stuff that we... $10 billion. My my head is going to explode. Uh, two minutes, Rob. Uh, what what do we expect to see in the next two weeks? I mean, here we're coming down to the wire. What are we, What are you expecting? Well, I can tell you what I expect out of the Senate. I expect 
you know, growing spending, growing budgets. Um, our operating budget is is going to grow uh, significantly this year. Um, I don't expect uh, very much in the way of a capital budget because the operating budget is is what is going to squeeze all that out. You know, we're not going to address our deferred maintenance or build anything out new because we don't have the money for it because it's all getting taken up in operations. On the other side of it, what happens in the House and in the um, conference committees, that I don't know. That is, is really up in the air, and I've heard half a dozen different predictions, and, and it's a 6-5 it's a and pick them situation. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be... It's going to be entertaining to watch. If nothing else, it'll be entertaining to see how this thing plays out. $10 billion. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that. Uh, all right, we got more coming up. Uh, Rob Myers, our guest. Thank you, Rob, for coming on board and getting up so early. I appreciate it. Uh, folks, we're out of time. We got more coming up. Uh, State Senator Mike Shower is going to be joining us in hour two. Uh, over the top of the hour, maybe we'll get Mike and Rob together. We'll see if we can bring the band together and see what happens here. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. If you got to go to work, thank you. Be kind, love one another, live well. But hour two is dead ahead. Okay. So let's revisit my favorite topic for just a second. Uh, Rob just knows. He knows the second he says deferred maintenance. I literally said from the floor one time, there's a special place in hell for the guy who just thought up the, the idea of deferred maintenance. And for those of you who don't know what deferred maintenance is, it's literally we have hard assets. We've got buildings. we got infrastructure. And we have a schedule that we have to, you know, that we must pay to maintain them. Paint them, put roofs on, do all this kind of stuff. Maintenance on the buildings. And the idea of deferred maintenance is some joker thought up something down the road and said, oh, we've got $100,000 that we are supposed to spend on these buildings to keep them up. Money's, you know, we built these buildings with taxpayer dollars and we should. So what we're going to do is we're, instead we're going to take this $100,000 and we're going to spend it on some other program and we'll just defer the maintenance on it. It'll be fine. We'll take care of that down the road. It'll, we'll, we'll do that next year, but we'll take the money that was supposed to go to these buildings and we'll spend it on some program. That's essentially what deferred maintenance is, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Eventually, though, the bill comes due and the roof starts to collapse or the thing falls in or they're leaking or the boiler blows up or something happens. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, now we need to bond. Now we need to bond these buildings to do all this fix that was supposed to be taken care of under deferred maintenance. And so now you, the taxpayers, are double paying because we budgeted money to pay for this stuff and it didn't happen. And now we don't have the money really in the budget to do it. So now we need to borrow money and put your property up for bond to then do what we should have been doing the whole time. And that's when we discovered a quarter of a billion dollars in deferred maintenance in the Fairbanks North Star Borough alone. And Rob is saying $10 billion in deferred maintenance on state facilities across the state of That is a... That, that's 125% of our annual budget in deferred maintenance alone. I just want so you- let me, let me give you just, just a real small example that's going to be real poignant for a lot of people up in the Fairbanks area on that one. So I just, I just heard about this one a, a couple of months ago. So Chitna, 
You spent plenty of time at Chitna, Michael? I've spent some time at Chitna. I have spent a few. Okay. I have spent a few uh, years there one day. <laughs> fair, fair point. So you, you go down to Chitna and you head down the road there and you go down to, to O'Brien Creek to, to head down uh, the, the shoreline, go find yourself a spot to tie off. And you'll notice at O'Brien Creek that there's a little collection box and it asks everybody to put 10 bucks in, okay? And that's supposed to be collected and put in a little fund for maintenance of the road there at O'Brien Creek. I don't know if you want to call it a road or a trail, you know, it's, you know, basically one pickup wide. And um, it's supposed to be set aside so that they can maintain that little road. And that's kind of a deal that got worked out, I don't know, a couple of decades ago, a while back. Well, about, I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021, somebody at DOT found that fund and decided to raid it. And they, they, it wasn't a whole lot in there. It was, it was like a little under a million dollars or something. They pulled that money out and they used it for some other project. So what happens at the end of last year, there was a rock slide on that road and um, pretty close to the front end of it. So you're not getting your vehicle very far down that road anymore um, until they fix it. So now DOT, who technically has, um, has, has jurisdiction over that um, in, in, uh, in connection with DNR, is looking at that and going, well, shoot, we just spent all the money that we should have had laying around to help us fix this situation. And that's the kind of situation that we're in, Michael. We, we, you know, one more, you know, just like you said, Robin Peter to pay Paul, you know, we are, we are ignoring the future in order to pay for present needs. We're not planning ahead. And that's just one small example of it. And, and again, this is going on time after time, after time, after time. Billions of dollars in facility in disrepair because they decided to not do the maintenance on it and use the monies for the maintenance on other pet projects. And that is the pro I mean, nobody's talking about a $10 billion deferred maintenance uh, uh, cost. Nobody. Nobody's right. talking. I mean, forget about the $10 billion that's owed to the CBR. Forget about the – I mean, it's just – it's just there. Talk, forget about the $7 billion unfunded liability to the defined benefits program, the previous defined benefits program. Forget about all that. The unfunded liabilities in the state reaches into the $40, 50000000000 billion mark, and we're like, oh, no problem. We could spend money on anything. We're fine. We know exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And, you know, and, and it's not just the dollar figure. I mean, the dollar figure is bad enough, but it's it's the fact that we have this structure that encourages us to do things like that. And we're not addressing the structure, which means that if we ever do climb out of that $10 billion hole, then most likely we're going to fall right back into it again as soon as we get flush with cash again. We're going we're gonna to build a bunch of stuff that we can't afford to maintain down the road. We're going to rob Peter to pay Paul. And in another 20 years, we're going to be back in the same boat. Except that then we'll have a $20 billion deferred maintenance. Uh, yeah, inflation. You know, you got to inflation and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it'll be, I mean, double at least. It'll be. <clears throat> this is why I want to smash my head against the wall sometimes. This, this right here. You just, you did it to me again. Um, all right. Well, Rob Myers. I'm happy to help. Hey, I, you know, I know you're here just, just to keep us humble. That's what it's all about. Rob Myers, thank you, my friend, for getting up early. I appreciate it, uh, sharing your thoughts on this. I mean, maybe next week or the week after as we get close to the end, we'll 
talk a little bit more about this to see where we're actually going to land. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I appreciate you coming on board. Thanks for being part of it today. You bet. You bet. Good to see you, Michael. All Catch right. you later. You too, my friend. Thanks for coming on board. Rob Myers, our guest here, The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We are up against it. So let's uh, let's get to it. Waiting for Mike Shower to join us here. We'll be back with him here in just a moment. in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal the, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low-budget radio program this is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com. Uh, where, well, you'll find pretty much everything about the show. The links to the podcast available on CastBox, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and, of course, Spotify. Uh, You'll also find links to our social media sites, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch, where we simulcast the radio show via video. You can see the glorious beard every morning if you log on to Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch, and you'll find links to those, again, at MichaelDukeShow.com. And, of course, finally, you'll find links to the audio-only stream where we stream the show every morning. Uh, You can also stream the show on uh, uh, the audio of the show, rather, on TuneIn Radio, if you want to do that as well. You can find us on TuneIn Radio uh, on an app. It's all easy. And, of course, we are broadcasting across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator. So feel feel free to uh, feel free to, to to do all that stuff. And thank you to the stations and translators that are sharing the show across the state. This hour of the program, uh, as always, brought to you by your friends over there at Satellite West. You can find them at SatelliteWest.com, where it doesn't matter from Naknik to Nanilchik, from Ninana to Nulato, wherever you are in the state of Alaska that begins with an N. You could stay connected. It doesn't have to be just N. It could be every letter of the alphabet. Um, It doesn't matter where you are. They've got the connectivity to keep you going uh, and to keep you connected, whether it's via uh, emails or text messages or phone calls or even if you just want to surf the Internet. they got the tools and the talent to make it happen over there at uh, SatelliteWest.com and a whole slew of local dealers across the state to – uh, to do it. I mean, from, from, you know, down from Homer all the way out to Lundy Marine Electronics out there at the end uh, of near the Aleutian chain out there at, uh, at Alaska. So thank you for 
sponsoring the program. SatelliteWest.com is where you go for them. We're waiting for Mike Shower to join here. He's going to be joining in a few minutes. I did confirm with him yesterday that he's on, so I'm working on it right now, hoping that he's going to join us here in just a second. Um, but I, I just, I just want to talk for a hot minute before I bring Mike Shower on about this deferred maintenance thing. It is, and Rob knows it. He just he slipped that into there in the conversation. He knows it. It is one of my biggest pet peeves ever that this is what we allow our elected officials and bureaucrats to do is to defer money from a pro, from something that is an investment in infrastructure we've already paid, you know, we've already bought, we've already built, we've already purchased. And they take the monies that are supposed to maintain those facilities and they use them for some alternate purpose. I would say nefarious, but usually it's some good program that really needs funding. And we'll just steal a few hundred thousand dollars from the deferred maintenance of these other facilities to prop this program up because it's so super important. Ten billion. That ten billion. That's ten thousand million dollars in deferred maintenance in the state of Alaska on facilities that are currently falling apart. And we're acting like this is no big deal. That, that is, I don't even know what to say. I just so pissed about it. All right. I guess, uh, I guess we're ready. State Senator Mike Schauer. Our guest here on the program, we'll start off with him and see how mad he can make me. Good morning, my friend. How are you, sir? You're wrong. I don't know what you said, but you're wrong. I, I'm just wrong. I am just, well, that's not unusual, me being wrong. I'm sure that that's it. Just trying to make you mad. I know, I know. Well, I, just, I don't get mad when people say I'm wrong because some people are stupid. I mean, you know, it's just what it is. I, I can't fix that problem for them. Uh, ignorance is curable. Stupidity is forever. So what what are you going to do about that, right? Uh, State Senator Mike Schauer, uh, Senate District O. He's my he has the pleasure or the mis or the displeasure of being my senator, state senator uh, here in the state of Alaska. Hello, my friend. How's how's life in the big city? How's how's the how's the the war going well, <laughs> down in Juneau? I I know Rob kind of gave you a pretty good you know preview of the battle. The, the battlefield, what it looks like, how it's been going. So um, I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about it and add, you know, my two cents to it. But, um, you know, you saw what happened. You, know, you talked about Senate Bill 107. You know, we knew that was coming. And uh, uh, it's just another part and piece of it, Mike. I mean, Senate Bill 107. It's an interesting thing because we talk about this often, but, you know, the, the mainstream press never says it. So a lot of people don't know it, but it's like, well, you know, we're talking about a 50-50 split, you know, statutory PFD. You don't pay your fair share, you know, et cetera. And now you have the, well, you know, and I've said it before here, Mike said, I've been saying statutory, put the amendments in, voted for it every year. Point is, it's the law. I get that we don't have the votes to reduce the size of this government for cutting programs or, you know, funding, et cetera. The votes simply don't exist. I know people jump up and down and scream about it. I put in, I've told you at this point, over $2 billion worth of different reductions, including the forward funding of education one, because I thought it was unconstitutional. 
and they never pass. None, none of us passed. So, you know, we're, we're left as the having to be the adults in the room, Rob, myself, Shelly, so a few others of trying to solve the problem because you can't get the problem solved with the amount of lobbyists and special interest and, you know, deep <laughs> side, right? So, but then here's the next thing. It's like, well, we're going to pass this Senate Bill 107, which they just passed over, you know, 12 to 7 the other day. And one of the senators right. from Fairbank was gone. You know, he was, I think he was around, but he didn't, he was excused. So he didn't vote on it. So it ended up being basically 12 to 8, but really 12 to 7. And they passed it. We'll say, well, you know, that's that's just what we're going to have to do. You know, we can't have this supersized PFD. They always say that, right? Supersized Super PFD. PFD. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's not supersized. It's the law. Yeah. Right. This well, is not going to McDonald's and deciding if I'm going to get a a regular, medium, or large size, you know, meal today, which is pretty much how we've been picking the PFD for seven or eight right. years now. Right. This is what the statutory law says that's still on the books that isn't really in conflict with the POMB draw because you can draw that amount and then apply the formula to it. You can. So the only thing supersizing this whole equation is government. That's the, that's, that's pretty much the, you keep talking about supersized PFD. It is supersized government that is. But you don't say that, Mike. They're like locusts. They they consume everything. That's not it. It's not supersizing government. It's supersizing the PFD because of you greedy entitled people. Right. So this (laughs) is the argument they say all the time. Well, you know, a 50, 50 split or, you know, whatever. I mean, that's reasonable PFD. I mean, even a, even given 75% of the earnings, you know, or the draw to the, government and 25% of people, that's a reasonable PFD. But what they never tell you, Mike, is that over 90% of all royalties, taxes, fees, everything already goes to the government. Already. Come on. We're talking about the little tiny bit at the end of the chain. Yeah. Right. That's it. It's a big cake on a platter. That is at least a, 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 equitable split between the people and the government but we can't even do that right we're gonna go and now go 75 25 now here's the funny thing i'm gonna say this piece because it's interesting so it's not the first time you know people have been interrupted on the floor for people guffawing or blowing off the decorum but i made a point in one of the one of the sections where i was you know putting my two cents in on the debate on the floor and while i was making the point a uh, finance coach here kind of guffawed with the guy sitting beside him and, and interrupted, interrupted me, which is against Mason's manuals. We're right. not supposed to do that, right? right. You, you keep your mouth shut while people are talking on the floor. I've never done it, never been called a point of order, but I made a point and it was so bad that I had to stop and say, excuse me, and point across the floor to the Senate president to go inappropriate, right? Didn't say a point of order, but they're over there guffawing, and go, <laughs> start laughing, make a big point out of it inappropriate same person that says we got to follow the rules is over there blowing off the rules when i said mike and here's all i said because the whole point i've hammered over and over again on the debate during this on monday was this is not a plan the governor himself has said he was not going to put it on the backs of one group of people that's what senate bill 107 does it puts all of the responsibility and burden for paying for the growth of this government on the people by taking more of the PFD officially this time. It's not part of a comprehensive plan because it's, there's no other comprehensive parts. It's just this, right. that's it. Right. And I said, guess what? Cause they've made a point repeatedly the finance coach here that, well, 
you know, you guys added so much money to the budget last year, or, you know, it was just fiscally irresponsible. I said, it, and so I said, if we would have already enacted the comprehensive fiscal plan, we wouldn't have been able to spend the money we spent last year because the PFT would be off the table and the constitution wouldn't be able to touch it. The amount would be the amount would be done. There would have been a spending cap. So we wouldn't have been able to add that money because the constitution would not have allowed us to do it. And the budget, the budget would be balanced. And when I said that, they were like, they made a big, big hullabaloo, interrupted the, the speech decorum, right? You don't do that on the floor. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, why are you, you two over there laughing? Because my point is 100% valid. What you don't like is that when I said it, Mike, it takes away their power. And this yeah. ultimately is 100% about taking away the levers of power from people that have had it here for decades to be able to move the money at their will, where they want it, when they want it, how they want it, to who they want it to go to. And if you enact a comprehensive fiscal plan that we have been harping on for years here, they don't have that power anymore, Mike. Right. They will be limited. And at the end of the day, brother, that is what's going on well, with this whole thing. And what they don't like to be reminded of is that they were the ones that were in power when this whole situation developed. They were <clears throat> they are primarily responsible for the overspend and for everything else. They're the ones. It's like asking somebody who is, uh, you know, created the whole scenario. Oh, please fix this. I mean, we know that, you know, you you got us here because of your lack of foresight and your lack of ability to understand unintended consequences. But please, please save us. Please save us now. And that's they, they don't like to have that pointed out. And you're right. I mean, 90 I always said, picture your favorite cake on a platter and government comes in and swoops in and leaves you this little teeny tiny slice and they've taken the whole rest of it. And now they're like, <clears throat> Oh no, that slice. We want that too. Oh, by the way, we also want the crumbs that are left on the cake uh, on the platter when it's all empty. That's what they're asking for. They get it all already. They, they get it and they want it more. And as Rob points out by 2028, if they, the 7525 HB one or SB 107 that we're talking about the 7525, if it got enacted by the house, which it's not going to, but if it did, then by 2028, the PFD, they, they're, the, the, the rise and the cost rise will be so much. It will be not 75-25. It will be 100% to the government, and there will be no more money. There will be but, nothing left to draw from. But, Mike, the point of the wise, the wise and old guard that is telling us how things are going to be are telling that once we enact $1.3 billion of new taxes, and put another billion plus into the CBR so it gets to their comfort level of where we need to be able to operate because we can't possibly operate the government without $3.5 billion of cash in hand in case we you know, overshoot the mark a little bit. Once we do that, even though they're telling us how much money we're going to need and, and all of the cost in front of us and all the billions of dollars of deferred maintenance you're talking about, trust us, <laughs> this is the one... Nobody in the press even asked the question. We have been taking the money for seven or eight years now randomly, and the cost of government is growing. We know it's going up anywhere from a half a billion to upwards to a billion dollars every five years. Rob talked about it. You just mentioned it. But all of that said, Mike, isn't the logical question? Who in this state believes that three, four, five years down the road, we're actually going to put more money into the PFD to the people? Who believes that? That's not what's going to happen. It's not even on the table. 
They're never going to put more money into the PFD, Mike. Never. Look at the direction it's going, the spending, the deferred maintenance, all the stuff. And they're saying, trust us, in a couple years, it'll be a 50-50 PFD, and we'll give you more money. Mike, it was a struggle, and one of the, the ardent op opponents of the PFD had to be gone last year for a 10-9 to 9 vote on the floor for me to finally get a, a statutory PFD amendment through the floor. Yeah. No. One I... time, one time in seven, seven, eight years. Yeah. And it was a it was a fight to the death almost on that one. And then of course the house couldn't even pass that. They had to freaking cut it down and conference committee it. But my point is this is the deal I got beachfront property for you in Arizona. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, the right line they, believes truly. Yeah, they put all this all stuff that, happening, <laughs> that this state is actually going to these legislators, these politicians are gonna actually give you a bigger PFD a couple of years down. This is the the wimpy. I will gladly play you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Come on, Mike. I know. Well, they buying this garbage. Exactly. I mean, you find an extra ah. billion and a half dollars in revenue and put more in the thing and we will pay it. And all I could say to that was That was just BS. I mean, that was just exactly what they were trying to tell us, unfortunately. That's that but Mike, nobody believes that. I mean, it, the press won't ask the hard questions. Oh no. None of the citizens believe it. I mean, come on, guys, at least be honest to say it's 25%. That's all you're going to get for a few years. And a couple of years down the road, we're going to keep spending more. And the PFD is going to be gone. We're going to take At it At least they can tell, well, they're being honest. Well, yeah. we're not. Yeah, it's it's the inch by inch, everything's a cinch. That's what we're looking at right now. Mike Showers, our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. Don't forget you can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show if you want to get into the chat room here as well. We'll be back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, <clears throat> we're in the break with Mike Shower here doing his thing. Um, I mean, way to go, man. Way to really get me riled up this morning. Uh, it's, uh, well, we were pretty riled up on Monday too, Mike. I mean, it I wasn't... Yeah, you knew we knew how it was going to go. It's like going to a football game. You already know what the score is going to be. You got to make your points. You got to try to counter. Um, you know, make a couple changes. But um, it's frustrating for us too, Mike, because I'm. T I've told you. You know it. I don't like it. But and, and many of the people in your program don't like it. But we know that the direction we're going, we're not going to be able to hold on the statutory PFD. We simply don't have the political will to do it in this body. It doesn't exist. It's going to be a struggle to hold it at a 50-50 if we can do that, if the House will stay together and the governor, you know, stays with us on board and, and the few of us in the Senate. Because it's not it's not aligned in the Senate, Mike. I mean, the interesting votes on this was not a it was not unanimous from that coalition. They're fractured. And that was right. an odd coalition. Right. I mean, Dun Dunbar, who I guarantee him and I are pretty opposite on a whole lot of positions, was has said repeatedly he wants a statutory PFD. He voted against this bill on Monday. Wilikowski did. That's not a surprise. Olson did. That was a surprise. Kawasaki was gone, who has typically voted for it. Interesting. Um, Matt Clayman. You know, Matt Clayman. Matt Clayman voted yeah. against it, but it was more because he wants to see a big income tax, you know, kind of thing. Um, so 
my point is, is even within that that coalition of the willing, it's not um, there's not uh, a unanimous will on this at all. So uh, that's eight people. And frankly, I really thought Olson would be voting against it. Um, I don't know what deal they struck with him because that would be a, a nearly unanimous or, you know, even split in the Senate on a 50 50 because right. most of those people have said statutory and I would be pretty confident that as low as any of them would be willing to go as 50 50 uh, an equal split of the draw if we're going to have anything at all I yeah. mean I, I've told you before Mike I'm never going to vote I'll follow my sword for that that's just not that's just not it if we've got to we've got to raise taxes at this point oh well um I'm tired of watching every single dollar get funneled to this government and the people aren't and you know, Shelley made the point and other senators stood up and said, well, you know, food stamps aren't being paid for. And this is what right. a senator that's no longer there said a couple of, you know, a year or two ago. Well, you know, the troopers aren't going to answer the phone and people aren't going to, you know, state workers are going to stop showing up. And, you know, it was the gloom and doom. And you're like, no, that's not going to happen because those are key and essential. This is always the, the, the fear tactic, Mike. That's not what's going to happen. The, the key and essential workers are still going to show up and get paid. The teachers are going to get back pay for everything. It never happens that way. It's not going to, but they scare people off to, you know, to cave. And Shelly Hughes, Senator Hughes stood up and countered the point and said, food stamps? How about you give that, that family a 50-50 PFD? That, if a four, Mike, that's that's $10,000. That's way more than they right. get food stamps. <laughs> they could pay you for know? their own food at that point. I mean, that's a brilliant, it's a brilliant point, and I agree with it totally. Uh, but none of the none of the jackals that are there in the Senate, uh, uh, you know, in the leadership in the old guard, none of them seem to understand that or care to understand it. I'm curious, though, um, since you brought it up and it's all about decorum and following the rules. Right. All these people are like, oh, we got to follow the rules. What was what was the Senate president's reaction to the interruption of your speech? I mean, was it a call to order? Was it I mean, did any was there any penalty or anything else? Is this just. Pick on Mike. Well, there's never there's never penalties for that, Mike. That's not how the Senate operates. Fair enough. I mean, look, I'll tell you this. I I follow the decorum. I have never had a point of order called on me just sitting there listening. I keep my mouth shut. You know, I pass notes back where I do whatever. But um, I follow the decorum because I don't want somebody interrupting me while I speak. That's not that's not appropriate, fair or respectful. Even if I disagree 100 percent what they're saying, I still just sit there and stare at them and you know, I might roll my eyes or something, but I keep my mouth shut. That's the way it goes. This individual we're talking about does not. And the same individual that's always saying, we need to follow the rules. We need a Mason's manual. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, but you don't do it. And then nobody calls you out, right? And the, so, um, but the Senate president didn't notice it, right? Because it's, and I'll be fair on this one, Mike, because we're, the way it's supposed to work is we're supposed to talk to the Senate president. The Senate president's supposed to watch us. That's the decorum. You might look around, you know, a little bit right, of this, but that's right. the way it's supposed to work. And I don't think he noticed it because as soon as it happened, I kind of said, excuse me, very loud. I pointed over at the sign. He kind of like, you know what? And then they kind of, you know, quieted down real quick because, you know, I kind of highlighted it. And <clears throat> All right. Hold the, on. The other two minority members said something anyway. So, hold on. Yeah. All right. Okay. We're going to come back to it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based free thinking radio. All right, we're continuing now. Mike Schauer, our guest, state senator, District O, up here in the Matsu. 
We're talking about uh, Monday's vote on the permanent fund uh, dividend and uh, the 7525 approval. Now, this is this bill is going to Ways and Means Committee, Mike, which in the House. Uh, now, they, they got two options. They could table it or just, you know, put it in a drawer somewhere and forget about it. Or they could take it out and bring it up for a hearing and then try and then slice it apart and put somebody on the hot seat. Um what what do you what's your advice as a senator? What do you think you we should see? Should it be pulled out of uh, of in the committee and put on the put on the on the docket to be read and discussed and allow it to be picked apart, or should it just die a slow, quiet death in the corner? Either are a valid option, Mike. I mean, look, a couple of years ago we did this. This is the same bill, same players, same story, same dance. You know, different year, different session. Not a solution, not solving the problem, not part of the comprehensive plan. A couple speakers that were for it said, well, this was a step in the right direction. I said, here's the problem. It's kind of like having a special session after the 1st of July if you want to get something done. If you wait until after the 1st of July for a special session, Mike, you have no leverage because they're going to be, we don't care. We're going to wait you out and we'll just, we'll just slow roll this next session. We don't have any reason to do this. But if you have one right away after the four months are over, right? Before the 30th of June, well, now there's pressure on because there are things that stop happening as far as the, the state paying its bills, right? Troopers are still going to answer the phone, but there are some things that are, you know, put some pressure on people. So this is really similar to that same kind of a thing, Mike. You don't enact one part of this little plan that they want, which is the old guard, so that they can get all the money and have their hands on the powers, you know, the levers of power of being able to still manipulate the way they want to. And if you give them this, then you are going to have no leverage for the rest of the plan. Anybody that's saying, well, this is one step and, you know, then trust me, we're going to work on, you know, uh, the spending cap. Right. That's never going to happen. One of the finance co-chairs has said it a hundred times on the floor and the press and everybody else. We don't need a spending cap. You think we're going to get that through finance, Mike? Come on. Right. So well, and this then, has to be part of a package, yeah, the well, whole deal, which is what the fiscal policy working group said. Right. Well, and you again, com- have the whole thing and contingent upon it passing or it fails. And compare that to what's going on in the House in Ways and Means, where they've got all the part. They got multiple parts in multiple bills already. They're not just passing the one thing. The Senate hyper focused on just the size and scope of the dividend and saying this is a fiscal plan. It's not. Yeah. It's not a fiscal plan. Well, it's not even part of a fiscal plan because Mike, you have no other bills up there ready to go. As you and when they won't let them through. Senator Kaufman has the spending cap bill. Perfect. Pass that through, Senate Finance. There's a couple different. There's a sales tax bill from the governor. They're right there in, in the Sunset Commission from Senator Hughes. Wow, Mike, there's pretty much the package. In a nutshell, put all four of those pieces on the table, send them to the House, and I'll go, now you're talking. Right. That's not what we did. We're going to keep taking this. And as you and Rob were talking and Rob's pointed out on the floor and he had a really good speech, by the way, on Monday, if you haven't listened to it, that, you know, four or five minutes, you ought to. So it's one of the better speeches I've heard kind of encapsulating things with some great questions in it. All we're doing is just one thing. And this is what people need to understand, Mike, that with the rate and growth of government, and that's before uh, one of the senators defined benefit plans that's now being pushed through. That's before one of the senators, you know, BSA education for over a quarter of a billion dollars pushed through. 
we're looking at if, if everything that this tax and spend Senate was to pass, which I'm hopeful with the House and the governor won't, but if it was, you're looking at up to a billion dollars of new growth and spending of government every five years. Now, if the dividend that they're offering right now, Mike, is just north of a billion dollars with this, with this massive 75-25 plan, how many years does it take before all of that's gobbled up? And you're still going to need taxes. So those people saying, I don't want a tax for a supersized PFD. Supersized, you just chopped it down to a tiny little thing. Really? Right. And you think that you're going to escape taxes in this state if you're more wealthy or upper middle class or whatever you are. And you think you're going to escape taxes by doing this? I got news for you, folks. In five years or so, plus or minus a little bit, this state's still going to come after you for sales taxes and income taxes. I don't care if you're the Alaska Municipal League, if you're a municipality, if you're a wealthy person, if you're a dividend hater. I don't care who you are, right? In a couple of years down the road, they're coming for more money anyways, because there is no desire to cap spending and growth. So we can control it and grow our government and get real revenue the right way. There is no desire to lack to reduce the size of government or look at programs of things we might get be able to get rid of. So when you add all these together, Mike, it's coming anyways, as Rob pointed out. It doesn't matter what we do on the current glide path. It's just how fast we're going to get there. So the, this is just one more step in the dividend going away. But we could hold on to it. We could with a comprehensive plan. Because if you protect it in the in the Constitution at 50-50, that's there forever. We're talking about, I want my children and grandchildren to have this. Well, you're pretty much guaranteed with your vote on Monday there, Mr. Senator, they're not going to get it because it's going away in a few years. And taxes are still coming. Even if we held on to a tiny PFT, taxes are still coming, Mike. That's what people need to get through their head. They say, I don't want to do this for taxes. Well, then you're not paying attention to what's happening here because you're going to get taxed. Even the comprehensive plan, Mike, we, we had to agree to that. And people say, well, you don't have to. No, I don't, but we can keep going down this path and you're going to get mad about this too. That's the direction it's going, Mike. Basically, three of us are fighting this in the Senate with a handful of people that just still want a bigger PFD. That's it. Yep. No votes to stop it. Just a few of us. And the House is tenuous. It's right on the edge of being able to hold on to it. And you've got a governor that hopefully will be willing to say absolutely not because he's met with all of us and said, this is not how I want to do it. So we still have some hope of stopping this mad madness, this crazy train, as Ozzy Osbourne would say many decades ago. <laughs> well, so, you know, I, I don't know, Mike, we'll, we will see. But the, the math doesn't add up with this current plan. It's getting worse. The Senate refuses to enact a comprehensive plan that will at least solve this long term. Long answer to your short question. The House could go either way. I would prefer, I hope that. Rep Carpenter and, and House Ways and Means will take this bill and tear it apart and or put it back into the comprehensive plan that they've got sitting in front of them and move it that way. And don't think for one second that those old wise birds in the Senate didn't put 25 in because they know it's a negotiating tool as well for something well, they that, want. That was actually, yeah, that was going to actually be my my next question is the same thing that I asked to uh, that I asked to Rob Myers. How interesting that you have a bunch of folks like you and Rob and others who are like full statutory PFD all the way. And then you're like, OK, well, this obviously it's not working. It's not being pushed. So we're willing to compromise and come down to the 50 50 Hammond plan. We're willing to come down to that. And the other side's like, oh, good. Well, so 75 25 it is then. 
They're yeah, like they're, right, right? they're their negotiating <laughs> tactic is 70. Oh, 75, 25. It is then good. You, oh, you, you move the ball. Good. Yeah. We're going to go back and reset the battle line and start over again. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. That's not negotiation, pal. That's not how it works. Yeah. Sorry. No. And that's what, uh, and that's what we're, that's what we're looking at right now. So what, how does this all shake out? I mean, here we are, you've got this bill coming through. We're 14 days away from we're two weeks from today. The legislative session is supposed to end, and I know you just heard angels sing in the background on that and all that. But it's, I mean, where where are we going to go? What's going to happen in the next two weeks? Give me, uh, give me your thoughts here in the next three minutes. I'm I'm putting a timer on you, okay? Three minutes. Give me your thoughts on what's going to be coming down here. That's impossible. We can't do anything in three. Impossible. Minutes. It's impossible, uh, Mike. I don't know. Um, look, first of all, I. As a shunned member of the Senate who, you know, apparently can be interrupted while he's speaking because Mason's manual rules don't apply to the minority. Because remember, we're not a minority because we weren't recognized as one, even though there's members of this current majority coalition that have been in a minority, less than five people, and they've been recognized. So they had resources and were given some respect and they had committees. You know, I don't have any committees, Mike. Not only, like I said, did they run us over with the bus, they put it in reverse, ran over us again. They all got off the bus and they started jumping up and down on us. So there's 80,000 people in the state right now that are not represented in the Senate, hardly at all. All that Senator Hughes and I have is to speak on the floor, maybe show up for public testimony, you know, as a member of the public. That's it. So they have done an incredibly effective job of muzzling and silencing 80,000 Alaskans, Mike. So... Senator Hughes and I, and, and, and really Senator Myers as well, they gave him a, you know, they put him on transportation, you know, as kind of a, well, you're not a terrible guy. You know, because remember Mike said they had to destroy, try you're, to destroy Senator Hughes and I's reputation. Right. You're not one of the bad ones. You're not one of the bad ones. We'll give you one so, committee. Yeah. You're, you're not bad enough yet, Senator Myers. We're going to give you one more chance to redeem yourself and do what we tell you to do and go along to get along. And then you can join the team, right? Um, so, but, you know, hey, look, Mike, we wouldn't join their binding caucus. I know it's a binding caucus. Some of them are trying to say it isn't. The only thing they don't have a binding rule on is they're free to vote on the dividend the way they want because they're keeping it separate. You know, they're, they're doing their thing with the dividend. That's it. They still have a binding vote on the, on the budget. Senate president said it. Co-chairs have said it. Have, I've had members personally tell me in the coalition that's what they have. I know they have it. So some of them are flat out lying about it, trying to cover their rear ends for next year's election, I guess. I don't know. So the reality, Mike, is I don't know. Um, I'm going to sit back with a cup of coffee and watch, make comments where I can, because that's about all I got, and hope, against hope, that the House is going to stay together, hold a line, that the governor is going to do what he said he was going to do and not allow something like this by itself to come through, and keep the the hope of a comprehensive fiscal plan alive, Mike, because the Senate is absolutely, positively, apparently, not interested enough of them to make it happen. And anything we do push through has to go through the Senate. The Senate's controlled by two of the three finance co-chairs that have don't seem to have any desire to have a comprehensive plan. So there you go. For one, That's one, the last uh, yeah. legislature in Mitchell. For one reason only. This is the reason why they don't want a comprehensive plan. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. I just don't fathom it that's uh that's the whole reasoning right there i think well uh, I, some I, people do mike but remember it really is i know i've said it and, I'm, and i know you're making some fun there but um the reality is mike this is about power 
It is. They don't want power taken out of hundred percent an exercise in the retention of power. That's what it's about. Uh, all right, we got more coming up. Mike Showers, our guest, the Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We return with more and Senator Shower right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these uh, entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. State Senator Shower, our guest here on the program as we continue ahead. Um, <clears throat> an exercise in power. That's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. That's the whole problem is that these folks have remained in power. And, you know, I, we should do, I should do a flow chart and a breakdown of the members of the Senate specifically who have been there for, and again, years. These people are not just part of the problem. They were the cause of the problem to begin with. And now they're just like, We'll just willful, we'll willfully blind. We'll just ignore it. We know that there's not enough money. We know that that this is a lie, that there's 75-25 and that you'll get your 50-50 down the road in a few years is a lie because they can, they've done the maths. They've seen it. They know what's going on. That's why they put it out of reach. That's why it, what, it started out at, what, $700 million in new revenues? And then Stedman jacked it up to 1.3. Oh, and then he put the caveat on that you had to put another billion or something in the in the CBR to do it. Because it makes it, it makes it unattainable. It makes right? it That's unattainable. It's absolutely it. it's absolutely yeah. unattainable. And they know that. And they can read a spreadsheet like anybody else. They know that the money that they're taking now is going to run out in three or four years. They know that's happening. This is not surprising. They know it's coming. They just want to slow walk you to the gas chamber, to, to, to death row or what, I mean, whatever analogy you want to use. They want to slow walk this one piece at a time. Oh, I know we said that three years ago, but you've got a short memory. So now we're going to have to take all of it because, you know, it just didn't work out like you expected. I mean, we expected it. They say quietly, we expected it. We knew that it was going to be taking all of the PFD. And then we knew a couple of years after that, it's going to have to be a tax. I've been saying that for years. I've been saying that what their goal is, is to take all of the PFD and then you'll have a tax on top of it anyway, which is why we have talked about taxes. I'm not a fan, but I said, if we had to have any tax, the flat tax is, is the best of the bunch. And that's what we should do. I don't want a tax. I think it's wrong. I think it's evil. I think we could stop it now, but nobody else has listened. And then they get mad at you for talking about a tax, even though you're saying it is coming whether you want it or not. But Mike, as well, I also have an, not just a responsibility, I have an obligation, a duty to balance the budget. I have to be the adult in the room, right? I'm like in my household, I can't look at my wife and go, yeah, spend what you want. I'll just go out and make more, right? Or I'll take money from our neighbor and spend, you know, I, don't worry, don't just spend whatever you want. It'll be fine. We'll figure it out. I don't have that authority, right? As, as just a, the man of a household, you know, a husband, you know, but here I have a responsibility to the entire state that way. I have to balance the budget. And that's when people say, well, I don't like taxes. I don't either. And I've said very clearly, I'm not going to vote for a single tax until it's part of a plan that solves the problem, including a spending cap that's going to force us to not allow the government to grow at a rate above inflation or whatever it might be based on economic you know, indicators. 
So I don't want it either, Mike. But the reality is we are at a point where I have to do my job. Part of that job is balancing the budget. There's bills we have to pay and we've got to figure out how to do it. And I'm not going to do it unfairly. I'm not going to screw over the middle class and the poor again to do it by just taxing them, which is what this bill does. I'm not going to do it by just taxing the oil companies into oblivion because it's already getting tenuous on the everybody hates fossil fuels, which is a misnomer because they're not. They're carbon-based fuels. They're not from dinosaurs. Good Lord. They'll use some science here, people. You're the freaking science deniers. So give me a break. We have to figure out how to balance the budget. Taxes are going to be a part of that, folks, like it or not. I'm just, I cannot agree to something, Mike, and this is where the governor and I, are, I, I agree with him on this, and he, he's heard me say it as well, is we're not going to put it on the backs of one group. We're going to ask everybody to have a, hopefully a relatively equal share of the pain and then cap it so we're done with it. And then we move forward from here with stability and a sustainable plan that people, businesses can look at us and go, oh, yeah, we can invest in Alaska now because they're not going to go, you know, bat crazy, you know, um, for the next 5, 10, 15 years of spending because they can't. They constrained themselves. They acted like adults. Alaska joined other states and actually put a plan in place. Because we're so such an outlier, Mike, here compared to other states, we got this power sharing thing, you know, that, you know, it doesn't matter what party has 50 percent plus one. It does that they people cross the lines and go to the other side. We have this binding caucus thing that nobody else does. I mean, Mike, we've got stuff in this state just wacky, wacky. So. Anyways, <laughs> Mike, Mike showers. You're, you're, I got you beat down to silence. Yeah, no, you got me, got me, got me going on, got me going on. So you um, asked if I could get you spun up this morning. Have I succeeded? Well, yeah. I mean, again, it, it, it just it floors me when people are like, I can't believe you talked about taxes. I can't believe that you had Brad Keithley on to talk about taxes. I can't believe you. The thing is, it is an inevitability based on what's going on right now. It is inevitable. I I mean, I'm not trying to shoot holes in your in your optimism, but it is we can't cut. Because it's not politically sustain, it's not politically viable right now to cut, and if we continue on, we're going to have taxes. So you best have that conversation now and get what you, the least painful option on the table. Otherwise, they're going to roll right over you and stomp you into dog poo. That's what's going to happen. With a much worse deal. Yeah. With a much worse. Gotta go. Gotta go. Hold the line. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. One final segment. Pinch. Just a pinch. Uh, one final segment of the show here this morning. State Senator Mike Schauer is our guest. So walk me through it, Mike. Your expectations, and I know you're in the corner with your little dunce hat on. You don't, you know, you're not getting, you know, just putting you in the round room with the headgear because you're one of the special kids or whatever. Uh, but give us, uh, you know, we're 14 days away from the end here. Give me, give me some, put your Kreskin turban on and give me some predictions. Oh, mighty Kreskin of what you think is going to happen in the next 14 days. And the bigger question is, do you end up being down there for another 30 days because of special session? What, give me, give me your thoughts. Oh, let me actually unmute you because you were loud as hell during oh. the commercial break. So there you go. Now you can talk. What? Give me your thoughts. You can hear me now. Just I can. I can hear you um, now, Mike. You know I'm sarcastic. That way I can't help myself. So 
and I do have to say this is pretty funny. Michelle and I watched a Fletch um, a couple of weeks ago. It was just randomly or picked some. Oh, look, Fletch old movie, you know. And she's always, you know, like where does that come from? Because I use movie quotes a lot. It's just one of those things, you know, in the fighter pilot world. I know we used to talk almost exclusively uh, in the language of movie quotes, and so I'll always say something like "unbelievable Fletch," and she was like, "What?" So we watched the movie. She's like. That's where you get that from. I'm like, yep, it's pretty funny to watch like a 40 something year old oh, yeah. movie back. Then. Oh yeah, uh, classics. But uh, well, the worst part—the the worst part—is is when you remember the movie quote and you have no idea which movie it came from. You've been using it for years, and you're like, and then you'll watch it and you'll go, oh, that's where I got it from. That's where, I, that's where yeah, exactly. came from. That's what we did when we watched Jerry Seinfeld all nine seasons. It's like, oh my goodness, every episode you're like, there's another thing everybody says, and it came from that, you know, from the Seinfeld series pretty funny so I'm like yada 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 you know things like that it's like not that there's anything wrong with that you know it all came from that pretty funny um no soup for like you the, that's right the soup nazis so um you did ask if the senate president acknowledged that or you know what happened on the floor with the decorum i want to mention it because um i, I want to be fair where uh we should be and you know i'll be critical where that's appropriate as well but the senate president you know senator stevens um has been very fair in my opinion, to the minority, he's meet he's met with us regularly. He's asked us how we're doing, what's going on, um, you know, things that are happening. Um, I had a conversation with him about that, and he apologized. Not in the sense that you know it happened because people are going to do what they do, but uh, he didn't notice it. And he was watching me, like I said, that's the decorum. You look at the president, you pay attention to each other. That's the way it's supposed to work. And he does a good job with it. He does truly, I, th I believe, respect the institution. And uh, he said, you know, we'll um, you know point it out, and we'll make sure you know that doesn't happen. He's like, that's not appropriate. So. Um, I, I give him kudos for that. There was no, uh, there was no equivocating on it. I just want to be fair and very clear about that. I'm not nothing to do with the Senate president. I just asked him, I had a, I went and talked to him, said, I just asked him, I said, you know, Gary, please, you know, don't let that happen to us. That's, that's not respectful for anybody. And I don't do that to anybody else. And so he's, he's been really good about that. Just to be fair. Um, I don't want that to come away. Like I was criticizing him because I'm not, I just don't, I, th I think Mike, if the rules are going to apply, um, that if we're going to apply Mason's manuals and that applies to us all the time, equally 100%, or if it's only going to apply to a few of us, then it applies to none of us, right? It's kind of like the Second Amendment, those kind of arguments, like it, they all apply or none of them apply, right? That, that, that's how it works. So um, on to what's going to happen. The, the crux of the, the battle here, Mike, is going to be the House majority versus the Senate majority coalition, because it's not really a majority, it's a coalition. And which wills are going to win, right? The the finance tables are interesting because you have out of the six finance co-chairs, six of them, five of them are Bush in rural Alaska. Only one from the Matsu is represents an urban area. So that's an interesting battle, which is why I said at the beginning of the session, I've already given up on the budget because they're gonna kind of get what they want and they're gonna have the conference committee controlled. Because guess what, Mike? And this is an important point. The Senate Majority Coalition, normally when you have a conference committee, whether that conference committee is over the budget or if we are, if some election bill makes it to the floor, you know, to both bodies, to the end game, you have that conference committee. We did it on Senate Bill 91, all kinds of things, right? For the crime repeal bill a few years ago, Shelley Hughes and I were on it. And so this, the majority in both bodies have two of the, from each body, right? So four of the six in the conference committee are from the majorities in both bodies. And then the minority gets to pick one person and put it on there. Well, brother, I got news for you. This Senate Majority Coalition, especially with some of the personalities, are not going to give Senator Hughes, Myers, or myself because they refuse to recognize, them, recognize us. And that's a vindictive move. It is. 
I mean, even the Senate president back, you know, a couple months ago said, I don't know what to call this other than punitive, right? Um, you know, as far as how they're treating us. And so they're not going to put one of us on the conference committee, which means they 100% control the outcome from the Senate. There is no minority in their mind, Mike. There is no opposing voice. There's no other voice of the people. Like I said, Senator Hughes and I have been completely silenced anyways. So they're going to control the conference committee even further. You're going to have two of the finance co-chairs from the Senate. You're going to have two of the finance co-chairs from the House. The House is the minority. Um, they're, they're going to have a chance to put somebody on that. And then the Senate coalition is going to put in their own person for the third one. So even if, Mike, there is, uh, you know, they put in the one representative on the House side from the urban areas, um, that's a Republican. They're going to get rolled like you read about. It's going to be a five to one at best on the conference. So what do you, you think is going to come out of the conference committee, Mike? Right. It's, it's already a foregone conclusion. That's why I said the fix is in. Right. And there's no, not even a question that they're going to get, have it lined up the way they want it. And if we go to a conference committee on an election bill, guess what? I'm not going to be put on it. Gar almost guaranteed it. Even if the the you know the senator that's running the bill on the on the Senate side, a Democrat, was to request it, they're probably not going to do it. They don't want to give me anything to run on that, especially because I've been the one pushing election stuff for five years running. They're not going to even let my name be on there to get credit. I mean, that's just the punitive, the vindictive nature of a couple personalities, Mike. That's the reality. I acknowledge that. So it's really going to be contingent upon the House coalition and and how they decide where they decide to plant the flag. And the governor. What they decide to say, this is where we're going to fight the battle on this hill. Pick the hills, right? And then that is in combination with the conversations that I know the governor's having with those different coalition leaders, right, from the Senate majority, because there really isn't a minority, as we said, and not not in reality and practice, and the, and the people from the House majority and, and minority. So the conversations between that House coalition and the governor is what's going to matter to hold the line and what comes out as a final product. Whether they finish that in the next two weeks or so is anyone's guess, because depending on what the House decides to do with House Ways and Means and, and Ben and Donna and others, you know, planting the flag and hold the line is important. Without them, we would be, this would be a crazy train, like I said, full throttle over the hill or, you know, over the, over the gap in the bridge, it'd be done. And then what's the governor gonna do? Right. Whatever comes out. Mike has said clearly, clearly, that he is not going to pass or sign anything, which I could assume would also potentially mean a veto that comes through. That's just one part of the plan that doesn't have contingency. He might let like, for example, a 50-50 come across if it was just by itself, um, if it had contingency language, right? That says this only goes into effect if we pass a constitutional spending cap, if you know we do the other things. Like I said before, I think two weeks ago, and I apologize to you and your crowd, by the way, I didn't say that front. I was sick as a dog last week. I could not make it. Um, I'm still, I don't know if you heard me coughing a couple of times. I'm still trying to, the end game of a kick it, but something, something got me good. Um, but the, the reality is, is that, you know, Mike has said very clearly that he's not going to do that. He put the sales tax in, so people were giving him grief, but of course they don't tell the whole story. The reason Mike did that, because that's part of the comprehensive fiscal plan, right? So that's why he did it, because he put another piece of the puzzle onto the table for the negotiation. So, you know, with our whopping two minutes left, Mike, I don't know what to tell you, because I'm kind of out of steam on it. I mean, I, yeah. I all, all Shelly, Rob and I can do is put in our amendments, make our, our pitch, um, probably get rolled by the Senate. 
and then hope that the House and the governor are going to hold the line and come together with some that's, negotiating yeah, stuff. But that's that's the only hope at this point is that the yeah, House and the there's governor. There's no comprehensive yeah. fiscal plan. Not going to happen this year again, which means probably won't happen next year. Um, probably smaller PFD up to what level? Who knows? Uh, session, special session. I don't know, Mike. If we're if they get a budget passed in the next two weeks, then maybe we're out of here. Um, but the governor's already talking about special sessions, so we'll see. So it's it's unknown, Mike. In the next week, we can have maybe by next Wednesday we'll have a better chance of indication. But two weeks from now, we'll probably know. <laughs> <We'll> <laughs> that'll be Wednesday. Yeah, we'll do this in the morning before midnight that yeah. night when you know we're done. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll know exactly what's happening two weeks know, from man. today. Uh, I'm just sitting back and watching and enjoying the show, Mike. Because that's about all they've given me a chance to do. Yeah. So. Well, uh, Mike Shower, uh, I appreciate you coming on board. And, and I agree. I think, again, this is all in the hands of the House and the governor at this point. Will the governor allow some of these things to go through? Has he telegraphed enough to the leadership of both chambers to say, this is what I'm looking for, otherwise it gets the red pen? Will that change? You know, How will that affect the conference committee? Um, there's going to be a lot of questions here, uh, and in the next two weeks, she'll be, I mean, it'll be huckledy buck. We'll see what goes on with that. Um, but we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Well, the Stay- good news, Mike, is you have a loud voice in Juno with your Senator. Oh wait, never mind. That's somebody else. Yeah. Close, yeah. Yeah. That's just, I have a great no, voice. Never mind. Yeah. Take it back. I have a great voice with my Senator in Juno. Keep up the good work, Mike. We appreciate it. Folks, we're out of time. Tomorrow is another day snowing down here in the matsu and anchorage be careful out there i know Uh, be kind love one another live well the michael duke show hey but don't worry at least the legislators make one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars a year that's that's okay that'll be that'll take care of it uh (laughs) yeah right that's that's pretty good for four months of average work if you can get it pretty good job huh? <laughs> I just, this, my god uh final thoughts uh, i know you said you're out of steam i know that that's never ever true but uh you know what uh final thoughts here i'll let you i'll let you spin the spin the bottle one more time here before we get off ramble for ramble for a few minutes i guess um i boy mike it's so tough because i know people are hurting the economy need stability people need stability and what this state's going to do if we're ever going to diversify our economy and grow it to get taxes from it then you got to grow your economy we're not going to do that by spending more money and focusing every dollar into the public sector and the government which is what we're doing so we're not going in the right direction um if we don't put that comprehensive plan in place businesses are continue to go you know screw you guys in alaska we're not going to go there i've had this i've said this many times on the program you know so we're not we're doing what's best for the public sector, Mike, in those unions. We're not doing what's best for Alaskans in general in the state um, because long-term we need stability. We are on a path to turn this state into a big national park with no resource development and entirely dependent mostly upon you know the federal government for money and do what we're told, right? Because if we want to say, tell the feds to pound sand, we're not gonna play your stupid red flag gun laws. We're not gonna play your stupid social justice garbage things that are coming through now with all these different things um what do the feds do oh we're just going to withhold money okay fine and we end up doing it mike if we're not strong enough to hold the line on our own we are at the will of being whipped around by the federal government 
and yeah we're, well, we're essentially a territory i mean so look at the moving goalpost on air quality that's affecting most of fairbanks and eventually is going to affect the matsu as well look at those things i mean it's already been happening yeah. over in the butte on the west side or yeah. east of palmer mike it's been a battle for a couple of years running yeah this is coming across the board we're going to be told what to do and yeah we're headed towards digital currency now where they can just turn you on and off at the whim of a hat no more cash i mean it's just the direction we're going i can tell you this brother the hairs in the back of my neck are standing up and it's just it is to say it this way i have concerns i i am concerned is what you need to say i am as well watching the way everything's going and of course we didn't you know we haven't even talked about bigger issues like world reserve currency changes and other things it's a problem um and unless we get our house in order i mean if something goes wrong at the national level we as a state should at least have our house in order so that we can hold it together that is the point mike that's the point i've been driving at for years alaska needs to be strong enough to stand on its own regardless of what happens at the national international level to weather the storm and if we do not get our act together it may already be too late if we have more stuff i just read a threat briefing assessment of what's potentially going to happen this summer with riots and stuff the the entire social side of things islamic jihad um you know the communist ties from china into like blm and tifa and others how that may go that's just one more step right of of things of of trying to redirect the ship because they'll do it so mike i'm telling you right now that's the point you just made it is that all of this is to be stable and strong so we can weather the storm on our own and that starts reliant we can't and, and and like i've said the whole time this starts at the bottom up get your family stable get your community stable get your city your borough stable get your state stable so then no matter what happens on the national or international stage like you said we can stand strong we could stand alone we could pull together it's got to happen because otherwise you know we'll be hurting for certain that's uh and, that's- and, and the last i mean very quickly mike i mean look when all the riots were happening everywhere else alaska was stable we didn't have all that garbage Alaskans are generally pretty good people. Don't want to, we're a little different in the lower 48. We don't put up with that crap. But the problem is, is that we're vulnerable because we don't have our own logistics, right? We can't sustain ourselves with food and fuel and other things. So that's the danger is because then we're whipsawed by what happens down there. Right. And that's the point. If we can sustain ourselves and be strong economically, food security, et cetera, defense, well, then we can sit back and weather the storm. Go, right. You guys riot, right. destroy yourselves, burn your cities to the ground. We're good up here. Right. But we can't. Right. Because we are dependent upon what they do, and we are not moving down the path fast, nearly fast enough, if at right. all, to get self-sustainability so we don't have to do that. And, That's Ro- and, and Rob Myers nutshells it right there. He said, half our state budgets come from the feds. What happens to us when they default? And Hi, Rob. Yeah, I think that, I mean, folks, you, if you don't think that that could be coming in the future, you are not a student of history. Because that and can they happen. use it as a weapon, Mike, because they twist our arm and make us do things we don't want yeah. to. Oh, that's because the... they, they withhold funding. It's how they do it. It's always the hook. It's always the hook. Look at all this free money. Don't pay attention to the hook that's in the middle of it. Uh, Mike Shower, State Senator District O. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Till next time. It's good to see you. All right, Take folks, uh, we got more coming up tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Be kind, love one another, say hi to your neighbors, get your own house in order. That's all I can say right now. Get your own house in order. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 